Okay, good morning everybody. Would you look at your neighbor and say, good morning, thanks for coming. I know we've got quite a few guests in here this morning. Uh, I was actually telling Jesse this morning, just go ahead and buckle up because I've got a few things to lay on your lap today. And I hope that we can receive these things with, with an open heart, with an open mind, realizing that God is calling us into a, a little bit of, of conviction to help us move forward in a, in a better way. Uh, so let's, before I get started, let's go ahead and pray together. Heavenly Father God, I ask that your spirit would be, uh, just continue to be in our midst. You've, you've already been with us this morning. Help us to, to get through this word together that you have given me. Help us to receive it with an open heart and an open mind, knowing that you are growing us, and sometimes growing pains are, are part of that. Um, help us to, to be willing to hear and understand, and God, I pray that you would uh, allow me to, to, to give this word uh, filled with grace and truth, and that, that it, would, it would be coming from your mouth and not mine. Uh, we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. So, but that, that's like a spoiler alert, this is a terrible message, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but one thing that I, I'm going to talk to you about today is something that's been so heavy on my heart lately, and I've been reading books about it, I've been studying it on the internet, and it's just the fact that we're so busy. Right? If I ask you, do you want to be more busy? Nobody in here will be like, yeah, I love being busy. Like, we want more free time. We want more time to, to do the things that we enjoy. And I've actually had a hard time over this. See, I'm a school teacher. And over the summer, my wife has been on to me at, at multiple times because I'm doing too much. Right, like I, I started playing golf for some terrible reason, and like me and me and Brian are terrible at it. But we like to play it, and it, and Megan's like, "You're playing golf too much," you know. And and we go on vacation, and she's like, "You're doing too much vacation stuff." And I'm like, "I don't even know what that means. I'm just trying to enjoy myself right now." And I think it is, it's it's just that I'm spending so much time doing things that my introverted wife wants to just not do anything uh, is really what it comes down to uh, amen right like so there there comes a time where we've got so much to do and and we're trying to get out of bed we're trying to get ready we're trying to get to church on time we're having an argument with our family on the way to church we get to church we act like it doesn't happen you know after church all we want to do is go get some food somewhere and it's one thing after another, it's, it's checking all these different boxes, we're moving through things so quickly, and we're, we're in the middle of a busy life, and life is only getting busier, right? It's only getting busier. And so I decided to look at some statistics, and anytime you look at statistics, they freak you out, okay? So I'm going to give you a few numbers, and, and some of them might not fit you the way that you are right now. But according to the Department of, of Labor and Statistics, they came up with 89% of full-time employees in America, this is American statistics only, 89% of full-time employees in America spend an average of eight and a half hours per workday at work, okay? So when you go to work, you're going to spend at least eight and a half hours at work on average. Some people like Dan, uh, sorry Dan, that was uncalled for. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, he's part of the 11% that's not eight and a half hours. <laughs> uh, so 89% of us, we spend eight and a half hours working when we're working. On average, eight hours and 33 minutes of our day is spent sleeping. Um, praise the Lord for that. If you can get eight and a half hours, you're killing it. Let me just tell you. Uh, and, and so during the weekday, those numbers are a little bit less. During the weekend, it jumps up to almost nine hours for Americans. So right there, work, sleep, that's 17 hours of our day automatically gone, okay? On average, for the average American, 17 hours is gone. So it turns out that we spend five hours and 16 minutes on leisure time and they defined leisure time as eating and drinking. That's not very leisurely for me. That's like a full activity. You know what I mean? But eating and drinking, social media, television, shopping is a leisure time activity. Um, some of you guys consider that a sport. Um, exercising and reading. Now, the, the funny thing about reading as a leisure time activity is in America, we spend less than 10 minutes per day 
reading. So I didn't even really want to include it as a statistic because you guys don't. You know, you know what I mean? We just don't read for a leisure time activity less than 10 minutes a day. And most of that, I feel like, is when there's like captions on a TikTok. You know what I'm saying? Like you'll read those, but you won't pick up a book. And so we, we spend five hours doing leisure activities, and that leaves very little time for anything else. And, and this is where it kind of gets a little bit scary, is that parents of children under the age of six spend an average of two hours and nine minutes with their kids on a daily basis, okay? Now, dads are a little worse. We spend about an hour and a half. Moms will spend upwards of two hours and a half, two hours and 40 minutes. That's a, that's a terrible statistic to think about. This is, this is Americans. This is who we are, right? And parents of age 6 to 12, it drops to under an hour. We spend 59 minutes with our kids on a daily basis, and that's talking to them, playing with them, engaging with our children. And it, and it bothers me to such an extent because I have a 3-year-old. And I don't want to go home and think, well, let me, let me clock in and put these two hours in with my son real quick so that I can get those out of the way. I, I want us to think about what are we doing with our time? How are we spending our time investing in things that matter so that as we move into the future, the future becomes a better place? Because if I were to ask any of you, what do you think our future looks like right now, the, the answer is that the future is looking a little worse and a little worse as we move forward. Things are, are not getting better, but instead things are deteriorating right around us. Uh, you know, we live in a, 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 a hyper-sexual um, like world. Things are, are becoming more and more perverse and sexualized and things are getting a little dirtier and a little dirtier and things are being pushed in front of our kids and our, our children are being uh, indoctrinated by the shows that they watch and the things that they see and the and unfortunately the, the way that they see us affects the way that we see our kids so not only am I going to talk about the future but I'm going to talk about the future of faith and and what does the future of faith look like for us what what trajectory are we on right now as as we're spending our days you know with with five hours and 16 minutes of leisure time but only 59 minutes of of time with your 12 year old what is that doing to the future of faith and and what is going to happen as we move forward down this path and is there any way that we can change it now that <laughs> that's not really a fun thing to talk about um but you know, I, I recently took the position last year as, as our youth pastor here at City of Hope. It might have been a little before last year, honestly. I don't know. But me and Brian's been working really hard on, on building our youth program up. And, and, and it's like I, I see what our, our kids deal with at high school. I see what they deal with at the middle school. We see what they deal with in elementary school. And, and like, the statistics are against us. And instead of leveraging our time effectively, instead, we're using it on leisure time activities. And, and I want us to, to realize that there is something more for us to do. Biblically, we look at the way that the Israelites, as they were leaving out of Egypt, they were on the Exodus, and we see when, when Moses was given the commandments and, and what uh, the, the, the law was being set up, with, with the nation of, of God's people and, and how God told them to, to teach their children. And it wasn't just the parent's job. Because the truth is that everyone in here has influence on the direction of our future generational faith. Every single person in this room has influence on the future of generational faith. And it's not just about you. It's not just about whether or not you have kids because I know I've got a lot of people who don't have kids. i got some people who aren't married yet. Uh, we got some people who have chosen to not have kids. Or maybe you've had kids and they've grown up and they've moved out of the house. Uh, my mom and dad sitting back there. I'm no longer in their house, but I have kids of my own. And so now they have grandkids or maybe you have great-grandkids, maybe your aunt or an uncle. But everyone in here has an opportunity to influence the future 
generational faith and the direction that it goes in. And so there's really only two directions. We either go toward God or we go away from God, right? So we're either going to push our children in the direction of faith, believing in what God has said and, and the truth of the Bible, or we're going to allow them to be lured away toward what the world has to say. And in Deuteronomy, um, we see chapter 6, verse 4 and 5, uh, that Moses records, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So that's, that's kind of weird. It's like, why, why is he saying that? But, but ar around this time, uh, a lot of the pagan religions had, had gods for everything, right? Like there was a god for the rain, there was a god for the harvest, there was a, you know, so there was like all of these gods, every one of them had an attitude, kind of like we do. Every one of them was finicky in what they wanted. And so Israel was set apart and different because they, they believed, they had experienced, they had come in contact with the one true God who created all things, who was sovereign over all things, who had delivered them from the hands of the Egyptians. And so God starts off and he says, listen, I am the one true God. I am the real God. I am the one who created you. I have a command for you. And he says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be on your heart. They're to be on our heart, which means that when we live our life, the thing that pumps blood through our body that gives us life is supposed to hold the commandments of God. It's supposed to hold the truth that God is the one God, that he is the one who loves us, and that we are supposed to love him with all of our heart, our soul, and our strength. And furthermore, we're supposed to impress them upon our children. And this is where we start to fall off. This is where a lot of Americans today are dropping the ball. We're supposed to impress them on our children and talk about them when we sit at home, when we walk along the road, when we lie down, and when we get up. And I, I, don't, I don't think a lot of us are doing that. I don't think that, that we're talking about them when we're sitting at home. We're not talking about how God loves you and how he created all things and how he has a plan and a purpose for your life. When we're walking along together or when we're driving in our car nowadays, we're not doing that. We're not talking about it just before bed. We're not talking about it during breakfast time. And Deuteronomy goes as far as to say to tie them on our hands as symbols, bind them on our foreheads, to write them around our door frames, and when you pull into the property of your house, have it hanging on your gates to say that Scripture is always on our mind, it's always on our heart, it's part of who our families are. It's a commandment. It's, it was a commandment from God given to God's people, and I think that it's relevant today, it's true today, and the scary thing is, right now I have a three-year-old, and, and this, is the, this is statistically true. I have 365 days to spend with my three-year-old before he is no longer three years old. I only have 365 days to know who he is as God has created him to be as a three-year-old child, and I have 365 days to do it, and that's it. I'll never have that time again. And then beyond that, it drops to 52 weeks with my eight-year-old. I only have 52 weeks to spend with the eight-year-old before he is never eight years old again, and I have to learn who that eight-year-old is and help him to figure out who God is calling him to be and walk through that with him, and I don't want that time to slip away too quickly because there's only 52 weeks. And the next thing you know, you got 12 months with a 13-year-old. And when that's over, everybody says, thank God that's over. <laughs> but really, it's only 12 months, and there's, it's 12 short months that you spend with a 13-year-old child and they will never be 13 again. And the time that you have to know them as that 13-year-old goes by so quickly. And you'll look up, and you've got one short year to be with your 16-year-old. And they're going to no longer be 16. And time moves by so quickly, so rapidly. And when we're spending upwards of 22 hours a day on sleep, work, and leisure time, we've got to figure out how we're going to make adjustments so that the time that we have is time spent wisely. Here's the, here's the scary thing. I'm, I'm <laughs> the scary thing is I made my wife count these, actually. <laughs> I know exactly how many marbles is in this jar. So this jar right here has 936 marbles in it. 936. That is the number of weeks from birth until they turn 18. 
So the goal for our families is to have your child grow up 936 weeks long, turn 18, graduate high school, become an adult. They move into college, maybe they move into the career field, and they have 936 weeks to do that. And this is the amount of time that you have held in this jar before your child is 18 and they move away. Now, this looks like a pretty full jar, and it kind of is. But in this one, I've taken a few marbles out. This is for a three-year-old. This would, this would represent when Emmett turned three, there's 780 marbles in this jar, right? So I'm already losing time. I'm already going away. And, and when I think about 780 more weeks, which I'm, I'm in the 760s probably now um, with, with my boy, that's, we're, we're getting a little bit scary. It, the, like time is sliding away for, from us more and more each time. And then this jar, that's a 10-year-old. We're halfway. Like, we're, we're, we're on our way, down and out. 416 more weeks, and they're gone. They're 18. They're going to move out of the house. They're going to go to college. They're going to find their own way in life. And the, the majority of the time that you have with your child is over with because they're no longer going to be a child very soon. And <laughs> unfortunately... This little guy, that's a 16-year-old. That's what's left with a 16-year-old. There's 104 marbles in there before that 16-year-old turns 18, graduates from high school, and moves into the real adult world, kind of. You know, anybody who was ever 18 remembers that when you turn 18, you're really not an adult yet. But you feel like it when you turn 18. You're like, man, I'm so cool. But that's it. Do you see that? There's, there's like one layer with a few sprinkled on top of it. Freaks me out. Let me just be honest. Like, th this, is the, this is one of the scariest things I've ever looked at in my life. That I go from 936 on average, from birth till 18, to, to nothing in just a few short years. And when I look back at my life, I see how quickly my years have passed. And the older I get, the faster they go. And marbles are flying out of these jars week after week after week. And we're not leveraging our time. And you say, Matthew, why would you do this? Why would you, why would you bring this jar out when I've got a 16-year-old sitting next to me who just took his driver's test this week and show this to me? Why would you do that? Well, I'll tell you why. When you see how much time you have left, you tend to do more with the time you have now. When you see the time you have left, you tend to do more with the time you have now. The Bible says it a little bit differently in Psalms. It says, Lord, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. This is not something to freak you out. This is something to draw your attention and say, your days are numbered. We need to start trying to get a hold of a heart of wisdom. We need to start trying to figure out what we're going to do. Number our days. There, there's not an infinite number. We've got a certain amount of days until they're gone, and we have to figure out what we're going to do. So I've got two options for us. One is that you can run from the facts, right? I'm going to say don't do that. Um, I know for a fact that it breaks my mommy's heart to even think about it time that's gone past and when I was little I know for a fact she would have never wanted to contemplate the fact that one day I was going to grow up because it's painful for a mommy to think about those things it's painful for a daddy to think about those things it's it's hard to consider the fact that one day your child is no longer going to be a child but instead of of running away from that I would encourage you to do number two which is to count the numbered days that we have and move forward with wisdom so that we can use the influence that we have with our kids. We can use the time that we have effectively so that the future of our faith will move toward God and not away from God. Because the, the, Ben Franklin said it like this. If you, if you fail to plan, you are planning to fail, right? I, I know a lot of you guys have heard that before. Um, 
I actually Googled it to say, who said this? Um, and it was Benjamin Franklin. I didn't credit him, so I might get in trouble for that. But if, you're, if you fail to plan, you're planning to fail. And the scary truth in America right now is that we are failing as the church. Now, this is not City of Hope Church. This is capital C, big church, nationwide. We are, we are failing our children because we are not sharing the generational faith with them like the Bible tells us that we ought to be. And, and I can prove that to you with, with some, some more terrible statistics, okay? So in 2001, a study was done. So this was last year. A study was done uh, by Lifeway, um, and they found that Generation Z, ages 15 to 24, okay? So that's the, that's the up-and-coming young adults. 9% of those say that they ever read Scripture and believe it. 9%. 9 out of 100, Okay? That is, that is a pitiful amount, okay, of Generation Z. 47% say that they are disengaged from the Bible. They don't believe it. They never read it, right? That doesn't say that they don't believe that God is there. They just don't read the Bible. They don't think that it's relevant. They don't ever engage with the Bible. And then 35% of Generation Z says that they are atheist or agnostic. They don't believe anything. And if you look at those things, and think that we're doing something right. I don't know how to interpret that. Uh, because when I see that only 9% of young adults read the Bible and believe it, are engaged in their church, are, are part of a faith family somewhere, it scares the pants off of me because we are straying further and further away from God every day. And the only way that we can change that is if the church comes together and gets its act together. Out of the kids that go to church, 70% of young adults will quit church when they get into college. 70% of young adults quit church when they get into college. And there's, there's, there's a, a, a huge amount of factors that play into that, whether it's, you know, they, they get busy, they move away uh, from home, and, and they just don't put in the work to find a new church. Maybe they, they were forced to come to church by mom, and now that they don't have to, they're just not going to do it anymore. But, but there's, there's only a fraction of those that ever come back. And so there's an exodus of, of young people leaving church and never coming back, and we got to figure out what is our strategy? What are we going to do to fix this? How are we going to overcome this? How is our church and our community going to be the outlier in the middle of this sea of bad statistics? How are we going to be the, the fulcrum of, of, of change so that, so that something in our kids is different from the kids that, that are becoming a statistic? How do we avoid that? Because the truth is, is that the world has a great strategy. And they're acting on it, right? Like they, the, 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 the forces of darkness, the enemy, the, the, the devil, whatever you want to call it. There is a, an action plan and they're drawing our kids away from what church is, from what God says, from what the Bible says. It's, it's something that, that in, this, in this short time of 936 weeks... We are not giving our kids what they need to stay in their faith. We're not bringing their faith along. We're not giving them the generational faith and understanding that they need. And we need a strategy. Like, we've got a plan when it comes to how are we going to get our kids up? What are we going to give them for breakfast? How are we going to get them to the daycare or to school? Who's going to pick them up after school? Who's going to ball practice to pick them up after ball practice? Who's going to coach this? Who's going to do that? Who's, you know, we've, we've got, who's doing the grocery pickup this week? Who's taking out the trash? We've got plans and strategies for all of these little things in our life, and we're dropping the ball when it comes to the faith of our kids. And we have to find a way to, to, to avoid this. So what I want to say is get your marbles together, okay? <laughs> get them together. I, I'm, I'm going I'm to take this one home with me, okay? This is a three-year-old jar. And one of the books I was reading says that, you know, every week, make it a family thing every week to take a marble out and, and remove it. And 
that helps you keep track. Make it, a, make it a thing. Get your marbles together and make it a thing with your family that every week you're going to pull a marble out and you know that that week is gone, but you've got another week coming. And that what we didn't do this week, we're going to, t- we're going to work on next week. But we've got to get our days numbered because we have to have wisdom as we move forward to make sure that, that, we're, that we're standing in God's command and that we're handing this down to our kids and that our faith isn't just our own, but it's the faith of our family, it's the faith of our church, it's the faith that our, our community sees in us, and, and we cannot let it die with us. Now, you've got to realize that this isn't something that's going to be instant, right? This, you're not just going to spend one week and I'm going to pull this big old red boy out right here and say, this is the one that is going to change the entire trajectory of my, my child's life. Now, there are big moments in our kids' lives that do affect their faith for the rest of their life. But, but the vast majority of time, if we want this three-year-old to grow up into a, 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 a person of, of faith who is going to stand in what God has called them to do, it's not going to happen in one encounter but instead it's going to be day after day week after week see i have 936 weeks to go from birth to 18 because there are things that that child needs to learn over time i can't teach it all to a three-year-old i can't teach it all to a 10-year-old i can teach a lot of it to a 16-year-old but if the foundation is not there you there's a lot of things that that we have to overcome when we're handing down generational faith so the time with our kids is, is important from start to finish. And what we need our kids to understand, if we want to change the way that our kids view the world, if we want to change the way that they make decisions, the thing that we need them to understand the most is that they are made in God's image, that every single child is made in God's image. And that is the, that is the catalyst to realize that they have divine potential to, to believe and to, and to pray and to, and to interact with God and to interact with others with love, that, that every child is made in God's image is the, is the factor that changes everything. But the problem is that they're also made in your image. That's, that's where things get a little messy. It's not God's image that messes them up. It's your image. It's my image. Everything that's wrong with my toddler comes from Megan <laughs> and me, right? <laughs> like, like for the most part, your children they they learn the the number one influence of your child is is the parent, and and sometimes. You know, the parent ain't able to be there, and so, you know, maybe it's aunt, uncle, grandparent, but it's whoever is spending the majority of these 936 weeks with them, that's the person that's going to influence your child the most, and that person is probably you, right? So, (laughs) your image in your child is where we really need to start working. That's where week by week, if we want our kids to see God within themselves, we need them to see God within us. Does that make sense? If I want my child to ever know that God is within him and that he is, is built for a purpose, that, that there, is, there is a calling upon his life, I need to let him see that not only is God in him, but God is in his dad, God is in his mom, in his grandparents. Right? I need my son to see it reflected in my family. Because what what our kids see and what they hear, what they watch, what they feel, the experience that you give them at home, that's the thing that shapes them into the person they're going to become. And if if we're not careful with, with what we're, like if we tell our kids not to fight, but then your wife gets on your nerves and you're griping each other out and you're at each other's throat, you're teaching them that it is okay to fight. That it's okay to say hurtful things to the people who care about you the most. It's okay to, to act out when we're upset. It's okay when you're driving and somebody cuts you off to road rage. Like, that's not what I want to teach my son. I, and I have to model it for him. I have to let him know because I want my son to have a divine perspective. I want him to have a divine perspective. I want him to look at sex and see it the way that God sees it. 
I want him to look at relationships with me, relationships with others, and I want him to see it the way that God sees it. I want him to look at technology and realize that it's not just a way to look at porn, but instead it is a way to, to, to interact with others. Technology is a way that I can, I can find good amongst all of the bad, and I have to give him the divine perspective that, that church is a place that is safe, it's a place that I can trust, that, that God is someone that I can trust, that I can care for others, and it doesn't make me less of a man, but instead it makes me more. And I want to give the divine perspective that God is within you and he is enabling you, that his, you are a, a temple of his Holy Spirit and it allows you to become more than you could ever be on your own and that the, the perspective of the world is skewed off. And, and I have to start with myself, with my wife, and, and with our home. If I want my son to have a divine perspective, if I want him to see God within himself, I have to start showing him God within myself. And that's not easy. It's intentional. It's something that you have to get yourself in line with. And I, I know that I've, I've, I've kind of laid this on, and it's heavy. This is, this is something that's been bothering me so bad. I know that it bothers my wife. This is a heavy thing to talk about because the literal future of our children hang in the balance on the way that we behave, on the way that we teach them, on the way that we spend our time. And it's something that's it's uncomfortable. It's heavy. And so I've got three things that I want to talk to us about that are going to help us get started making sure that our generational faith transitions into our children and the first thing that I want you to consider is that you need to know your role what is your role who are you to your child who are you to your niece your nephew your grandchild who are you like if if you don't have kids of your own yet maybe you are a kids church um, servant who, who comes over and, and, you know, once a month you, you teach their lesson, you bond with those kids. Maybe uh, you come out on Wednesday nights with Hope Youth and, and you volunteer to lead a small group of middle school, high schoolers. Um, who, who are, what is your role? And, and the thing is, is that kids at different levels need different things. You can't just be the same dad from birth until they're 18 because your kid needs you to meet you. They, they, they need met where they're at right? Um, you, you have to meet them where they're at. The same thing with moms and grandparents. And, and, and I've got a few points uh, for knowing your role here. Um, if they're preschool and under, I've been doing a lot of reading. Those youngins need to be embraced. If they're under preschool, toddler, infant, they need security. They need you to help build confidence. They need you to stand them up and hold their hands so that they can walk their first few steps. They need to know that you are there, that, that you are assuring them that as they learn, as they grow, as they see what they're capable of, you're there to protect them, you're there to provide security so they don't accidentally fall down steps or, or hurt themselves really bad. They need the embrace of the people who love them. Once you move into elementary, that's, that's the stage of engagement where, where young kids, are they're, they're playing more and more. They're developing their interests. They're figuring out what they like. They're exploring their abilities. They're starting to grow their knowledge. They're learning more and more every day, and they need us to come along and, and engage in those things with them. Once you get into middle school, things get absolutely nuts. <laughs> But they're changing. Things are changing <laughs> a lot. Hormones are nuts. They're out of balance. And they need stability in the household. Like if your household is all the time crazy, this is the thing you're going to have to work on because our kids need stability within the home. They need to discover their own potential. They need positive affirmation when they're going in the right direction. And they need rebuke and correction when they're going in the wrong direction. And that's really hard because middle schoolers don't want to hear nothing you got to say. Uh, and we have to help them. <laughs> that's a fact. Uh, we're going to navigate this change together. And you have to know where your kids are at. You have to know, like, if, if you don't have a kid to, to do this with, I, I want you to find one somewhere. Uh, you can borrow mine. Um, 
But, but I, I, we got to start investing in our kids. And maybe if you're a little old for that, maybe you can invest in a parent who's investing in a kid and let it trickle down somewhere. But, but we've got to start figuring out what our role is. Um, and then in the high school, we're mobilizing that potential. Uh, they're getting ready to go out to become an adult. We need to help guide their values, guide their passions. We need to prepare for them to launch out of, of the rocket base mom and become an adult on their own. And like that is, is all part of being a good godly parent is knowing where your child is at, anticipating what they're going to need from you and meeting them in that place to, to instill godly values so that they can move forward successfully. This is using wisdom that God has given us. Number two is don't waste this week. Now this one, if, if I, encourage, I, I encourage you to take your marbles home, go get you some, and realize that every week you've got a certain amount of interactions, a certain amount of time, a certain amount of things that you could do with your child, and I, I don't want you to waste this week. If you wasted last week, that's okay, because there's another week coming. I don't want you to waste this week, but if you do, there's another week coming, so just don't waste the week that you're on, and we want to continuously try to take advantage of the weeks that we have. We want to number our days and live with a wise heart. So maybe we need to come to the realization that influence and change come from consistent, repeated, intentional engagements with our kids. That is where you build credit with your child. That is where they come to realize that every single time you show up, it's for their good and it's not for harm. But you have intentional influence and, and you can change the trajectory of their life by showing up day after day, week after week. And this is, this is something that even if it's not your kid, if you show up regularly and consistently, you start to be able to influence positively. So, healthy disciplines, this is the thing that my household needs the most, really. I need more healthy disciplines when it comes to the way that we spend our time. I need limits. Like, I have 15 minutes of, of Facebook, Instagram, and Reddit time a day. I got 15 of each. That's 45 minutes. My wife would say that's more than enough, but when my time runs out, I say, Lord, help me. I've already used it. Uh, I'll just let you know, this morning I already burned 15 minutes of Facebook time. There's no going back <laughs> already this morning. Like, and, and it's like I need those healthy limits in my life because I can't stop. I've got to have something to help me build healthy disciplines. And we need to be reading the Bible in our home. We need to read it to our kids. Emmett uses that against me, to be honest with you, uh, because it'll be time for bed, and I'll be like, it's time for sleep, my little beautiful child. He'll be like, read the Bible, Dad. And it's like, no, it's time for bed. I'm not, but then I do. Uh, and he's, he's playing me like a fiddle, but I'm reading him the Bible, and it's okay, right? It's okay. Like, he's using it against me, but I'm using it for him. And so... Read the Bible with your kids. Let them see you reading the Bible. Pray with each other. Emmett is really into prayer right now. I went and tucked him in the other night. He's like, pray for my knick-knicks. That's what he calls his blankets for some reason. He made that up. I don't know. Like, so I'm like, Lord Jesus, let us sleep. <laughs> Bless these blankets to cover us up and make us so warm and comfy. And I prayed over those blankets. I blessed them. And then he went straight to sleep. I said, thank you, Lord. <laughs> it was a good time. Like, and, and so he wants to pray because we've been praying with him, and, and, and he's been seeing us pray. Um, we need to engage our kids in conversation, and that's hard with a three-year-old. But once they get out of that, like, I, I still talk to him all the time. I'm still teaching him things, but, but we need to, to try, try to have meaningful conversation. And, and the older they get, the harder it becomes because they don't want anything to do with you. Uh, they want to come in and they want to go play their video games or they want to go do whatever. They want to get on FaceTime and TikTok and, and dance those God-forsaken dances. And, uh, and it's hard to have meaningful conversations with that when they won't stand still, you know. And it's like, and, and I just don't know. This is where you have to know where your kids are at and you have to start working consistently and 
um, intentionally into that. And part of that is using your time wisely. And we have time, but sometimes we don't feel like we do. We got breakfast time, we got dinner time, we got bedtime, we've got playtime, we've got time when we're in the car together, and we have to start using those times effectively if we want to be a catalyst for change in our family's life. Use our time wisely. And, and lastly, it says, model faith for your family. And this is the part where the rubber meets the road. And if you want your family to change, you have to be the one that models what it looks like to have faith. Um, and so I, I've, I didn't put this up as a slide, but I've got this wonderful quote from Ephesians where Paul is writing to the church. And he says, among you, there must not be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed. These are improper for God's people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking. These are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. If you want your child to grow up and, and, and embrace their faith, we got to cut out the coarse jokes. We got to cut out the obscenities. We got to cut out the sexual immorality in our own life. We got to start getting rid of the greediness and the envy, and we have to model what it looks like before our kids so that they can see what, what a person of God looks like. We have to show them what it looks like. Paul writes to, to Timothy in 2 Timothy and says, As for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those from whom you heard it. That's just saying, listen, you have somebody in your life that loved you so much that they taught you these things, and because Timothy had people in his life that, that wanted the best for him, and they began to teach him as a child, and they invested in him when he was young, and they started to give him these values, they started to give him this education of what it meant to be a, a, a man of God, and, and because he trusted them, he trusted what they taught him. Because he knew they had what was best for him in mind, he believed what they had for him. And then it says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned, so, so grow in it, continue in it, because um, from infamacy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. They began to teach him the scripture from the time that he was born, and he believed it because they loved him unconditionally. They, they had what was best. Time and time again, they showed up, and they, they, they gave him their best. They gave him what was good, and he believed what they taught him because he trusted the people teaching him. So the last step is to engage with church. I'm, I'm almost finished. I know I've talked your ears off today. But lastly, I, you know, this is cliche coming from church, but you should engage in church. Uh, you should engage in church. And there's a couple parts to that. Don't miss Sunday. You're here right now. This might not be your home church, but wherever you go, be there. Be there on Sundays. Serve at your church. I, I hope it's this church. I hope you're serving at this church. And if you're not, you should, you should find a place where you can begin serving because you, your kids are never going to serve your church unless you serve the church. And so we need to start serving church together. We need to start bringing our family to, to, to figure out what it looks like to, to serve our church. We need to lead our family in worship. If, if you want your kids to start worshiping, they need to see you worshiping, right? And, and Clay was talking about the, the sacrifice of raising our hands, of, of singing, of praying. Like we, our, our families need to see that within our family, and so when we're at church, be the leader that steps up and, and leads the worship within your family and that everybody sees it. And then talk about the service together. If, if you've got kids over in kids' church right now, and a lot of us do, there's like 500 kids over there, you need to ask, what did you learn today? Like, ask them about it, and then tell them what you learned today. You know, and talk to your kids about the importance of what they're learning at church and what you're learning at church. And, um, and engage in church together. Be here. Maybe you need to join a small group because, like I said a minute ago, your kids really, like, the older they get, the less they want to do with you. And they need people.
that they can trust and depend on outside of their family who are going to also build them up. And sometimes that's peers. Like, like I, I have some friends who have kids around Emmett's age, and I know that, that they are you know, trying their best to build a family of faith. I'm trying my best to build a family of faith. And when our kids come, to, come together, they have to play with other kids who are being taught similar values. And they get to see their moms and dads sit around and talk about what faith looks like, what questions they're, they're coming up with as they study the Bible together. They get to see prayer amongst a group of faithful adults. And if you've got a middle and high schooler, uh, I'd love for you to bring them out on Wednesday. We try our best to intentionally make it something that, that is a, a life-changing experience that, that, we, that we're trying to, to teach and engage and build relationships with, with our, our middle schoolers and our high schoolers and give them relevant teaching that's going to hopefully help them change their life, that, that the Spirit of God will be able to do a work in it and they will be empowered to live a different life. And the, the last thing I, I want to consider is that Jesus himself valued children. He loved the kids. You know, Jesus loved the little children, right? Like, it's true. It really is. In, in the book of Mark, he, he brings a child out, and he places it among his disciples. And so he's teaching his disciples. He's teaching his friends. And he brings a child in to the middle of it. And, and he said, he, he took the child in his arms. He looks at his friends, and he says, whoever welcomes this little child welcomes one of these, right? One of these little children. If you welcome a child, you welcome me. And, and like, when I think about that, I, all I can help but think is, like, if you want to have a family of faith, you have to include your kids in the faith. If you want to have a church that is centered around Jesus, you have to put the children at the center and welcome them into it. Because not only are we welcoming the kids and teaching them, but we're welcoming Jesus. And, and beyond welcoming Jesus, we, we welcome the one who sent him. God himself is in the midst. He's in the, God is in the middle if the kids are in the middle. Does that make sense? It blowed my mind. Because if, if I want this church to be a church that's focused on the things that God has taught us, the number one thing that we have to welcome in at the center of it is the faith of our kids. And we have to bring them in, and we have to steward them well. We have to teach them wisdom. We have to show them what God has said about them. And when our kids are in the middle, when our kids are learning about God, God himself is in the middle. He's welcome there. God created all things, and, and it works together so well. And a while, a while back, we went on a, a little hike, and um, we, we were standing out in the middle of the, the mountains, and, and all I could think about was that the sun is the perfect distance away to shine the perfect amount of light. The ozone is just thick enough to filter out the worst of the UV rays. Uh, the, the, the plants soak up the sun. They grow, they die, they return to the soil and the nutrients is absorbed by another living thing. Like there is a, there is a, a predictable pattern to the way creation was formed that, that I know we can expect cold weather and snow in the winter. We can expect to be scorching hot and miserable in the summer. Like there's a predictability to creation. We see animals grow, mature, reproduce, grow, mature, reproduce. And, and, and when I think about the predictability of nature, the design that God has planted around us to see with our own eyes, it only makes sense that predictability should be part of my household. That there should be time to read the Bible, time to pray with one another, time to spend in worship, Time to spend listening to what God has to say for me. Time to spend. There should be a predictability to my household. And my kids should know during dinner time, 
Dad's going to ask me a stupid question about the Bible. Dad's going to talk to me about church. Like, there should be predictability in our households, and day in and day out, marble upon marble, week after week, our kids are desperate for us to pass on a generational faith that will set them in the direction of God for the rest of their life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father God, thank you, Lord, um, for opening our eyes to the number of days that we have left, whether we have children right now or not, whether, whether we have grandkids or not, God, that you have, you have placed us in the church so that we can invest in the future generational faith, that you have commanded us to share it with the kids. You've commanded us to write it upon our hearts. So God, let us go from this day forward ready to put good habits in our house father help us to help us to to speak to our children about you in a way that they can understand help us to to model before our kids what it looks like to be a man or a woman of god father help us to 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 put our kids on a path that runs straight into you so that we can avoid the snares and the pitfalls that the enemy has put out for us. Because God, I don't want another child to walk away from church. Lord, send us your Holy Spirit to, to work within us. To, to help us to do these things. Empower us to, to live in a transformed way so that wisdom is a part of who we are. Help us to be intentional with our families. God, the, the future of the world depends on, a, on our kids. And that the only way we can change the future is to change our kids. So God, I pray that this church would be a catalyst of faith in the lives of, of our young people. Because God, I know that you love them. I know that you have, have called them into the middle. So let that be done in our families. Let it be done in our church. Let it be done in our communities that we, we put our kids in the middle and we say, listen, God has a plan and a purpose. God, embolden us, strengthen us, encourage us that we would make the changes necessary to number our days. We love you and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.